Welcome to Voices of Care, the podcast series from New Cross Healthcare that seeks to get to the heart of the issues facing the health and social care system in the UK by speaking to leaders about how we can truly enable the healthcare workforce of the future. I'm Sahel Mirza. The NHS and its challenges are rarely out of the news, yet the imperative to find innovative solutions to its perennial people and workforce challenges remains adamant. It's therefore vital to hear from leaders who can help elucidate some of the solutions that are on offer. And in that regard, I'm delighted to welcome Sim Skavatsa, the acting chair at Buckinghamshire, Oxfordshire and Berkshire West ICB, otherwise known as Bob, and non-executive director at Imperial College Healthcare NHS Trust. Sim, welcome to Voices of Care and thank you for giving us your time. Lovely to be here. The news is filled uh, with stories of... uh, Massive delays, patients waiting for ages, workforce challenges. The British Social Attitude Survey uh, in March showed the lowest level of satisfaction with the NHS uh, in its history. You have a unique vantage point uh, working with systems and at place level. What are you seeing on the ground? It really is a profound crisis, isn't it? It is indeed, and we can't hide from that fact and where to start. We've got record vacancy rates. Um, We're finding it very difficult to retain staff. We're finding it difficult to recruit staff. You know that um, during the pandemic, we had a proportion of our staff that sort of delayed their retirement or they came back to work to help, you know, so we'll be losing and we are gradually losing some of those. So in terms of the overall, what you hear is that absolutely happening on the ground and we're struggling and our staff currently are struggling they're burnt out so I think you know we understand the challenges and they are great and getting greater and of course I think the industrial action at the moment as well is 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 making life extremely difficult our staff tell us they're tired they are burnt out we're desperate to try and help with well-being priorities and um, activities and engagement um, but it's still not enough so we definitely need to look at other ways to help our staff. Well that's the focus of course of our conversation today and we're going to be tackling each of those issues that you've talked about. Um, I wanted to take a broader look to begin with. Um, You sit of course at the ICB at uh, Buckinghamshire, Oxfordshire, Berkshire West uh, and as part of Imperial the Northwest Collaborative. We're seeing quite a lot of innovation, are we not, at a systems and place level. We've seen, of course, a statutory footing given to uh, integrated care systems. Are you seeing hope for the future in terms of workforce with some of those initiatives that you've seen in the places that you work? Yes, I would say yes. And it's giving us indeed hope. I mean, I think the biggest thing is probably collaboration. And you know that the ICBs have been set up with precisely that remit. So it's by working together that we're going to find some of the solutions. And as you know, I think the health system hasn't been set up that way. Traditionally, it's been quite competitive, quite siloed. So we're moving away from that now into a place where we share, we learn, we listen, and we work together to to really gain those benefits. So when you think about provider collaboratives in Northwest London, we have um, a Northwest London acute provider collaborative and it's that that seems just to be starting to bear fruit let's say and you know one of the biggest issues for us is staff so from a staff point of view think about this this sort of a recruitment hub across 
across our trusts um, and passporting so staff can easily move from one trust to another. Flexibility of work, that sort of thing. The other thing that's very important, obviously, is, is sharing the data, understanding, you know, our staff are suffering from a cost of living, just like everybody else in this country. So, you know, what we can do as a collaborative to help them um, and to understand travel to work, costs, childcare, all of those sorts of things are being looked at together as a collaborative. The other thing is obviously to try and reduce agency rates, things that cost us a lot of money. So we're doing things in Northwest London like harmonising the bank rate, you know, increasing the sort of bank availability um, for our staff so that they, they can work in that way. And we can reduce um, the costs you know, we have high costs in terms of agency rates. So that would be another way that the collab is coming together to, to work together. And of course, um, what's really important is shared patient records. So the ease of access for our clinicians to, to sort of follow the patient, which isn't something that, you know, ha, has been done before. It's very disjointed. So those would be some of the things I'd mentioned. And that's quite an innovative approach. As you say, the um, history culturally um, and even politically has been to promote competition between trusts. And that includes competition uh, for workforce with trusts battling with each other for clinicians and non-clinicians throughout the whole system. What role, just very briefly, in terms of your role as a, as a chair, acting chair, for example, has that been a, a challenge for you to see a, a cultural change in terms of collaboration? That's not an overnight uh, job. You're absolutely right. It, it certainly isn't. And I think you have to name it and you have to talk about it and you have to explain to staff what the difference is to help vocalise and sort of articulate how they've been working and how we want them to work. And we had just this conversation yesterday in a, in a big meeting and it's going to be difficult because it takes time. But what's really important at the moment is very strong, clear leadership. So being able to communicate the vision and the hope that the ICBs bring, that's going to be very important. And that's just not from the board but that comes from the senior exec and it also then needs to filter down so I think there's a lag between what is happening at the top at the moment because the systems aren't mature and and how people are viewing how our staff are viewing this and whether they perceive this change to be positive for them I think we need to do a better job at explaining the benefits. And the literature in business studies, for example, business schools will show that making that cultural change uh, isn't merely a cognitive rational exercise. It's about hearts and minds. So are, we, are you beginning to see that? Because that takes a, a, a slightly challenging approach uh, from, for some people who may be entrenched in the way they look at things. Yes, it is a whole new way of thinking and a whole new way of working. And of course, what needs to be there? Trust. Without the trust, collaboration is just a, a tick box. So I think there's a recognition that a lot of listening and talking needs to take place. We work with system partners at, at ICB level and, you know, that's the local authorities, that's the PCNs, the primary care networks, our voluntary sector are very important to us. They will help us eventually with workforce as well. So I think trust needs to be built, first of all, and a lot of explaining and articulating of what it means to the individuals involved. Otherwise, there's a complete lack of understanding. No, absolutely. Now, 
going into the retention issue, because of course the NHS has to attract staff, it has to retain the staff that it has. It has to also provide a, a framework for them to flourish from all backgrounds. And I wanted to tackle, I know that uh, Bob has a five-year plan, Imperial College also, of course, and I wanted to tackle head-on the issue of uh, inclusion and diversity uh, and some of the work that you've seen, some of the solutions that are being provided. I noticed, for example, at Imperial, um, the staff networks have changed the name from a BAME network to a multicultural network. Could you explain that? That's quite different. Yes, that came from the staff themselves. Um, it's very important that you don't do unto the staff networks, that they have the power to be able to decide how they run and that they have access to the board to speak up. So that was very interesting. And, you know, it was presented to me in that way. And I think it's important. There was a sense of wanting to make sure that we included all factions, all cohorts, all creeds, all ethnicities, um, of which there are many. Hmm. So, so that came out out of that actually and obviously the contentiousness of language around EDI and the term BAME which is a general sort of catch-all term and I know at the NHS we've been working hard with the RES data the workforce race equality standard data to disaggregate to understand the experiences of different communities hmm. of our staff because it's different so filipino nurses that we bring in from abroad you know versus our afro-caribbean staff have different experiences so i think the inclusivity includes understanding the different experiences from our different staff really important to disaggregate the data which we're doing more of everybody knows that part of retention is making people feel they belong and once they feel they belong you've got to give them a voice and I think unfortunately in the NHS we've got all the data we need to help us focus on the issues and we know the areas of focus you know bullying and harassment is still a problem from our ethnic minority staff point of view um, and we also know that them being able to you know seek promotion is difficult so those are two areas that we're working on, especially at Imperial, really proud of the work that the HR team have done in terms of looking at band 7A upwards and making sure to promote people of ethnic minorities, making sure they're on the shortlist, you know, to get these jobs at an executive level. And also, I guess it's also part of uh, uh, an ability to be an anchor institution and draw on yeah. all groups to bring into the trust at any level at all because the issue I think many people will look at saying this is a, a well-worn track um, equality diversity has been on the agenda for decades um, and it seems to be taking longer than perhaps many would want so you're confident that the data and nuancing the approach for every group is beginning to show some results even if it's early days yes at the end of the day we've been at this a long time and I think it's really important not to give up, to, to believe that there are solutions and to take the small steps. It's incremental steps. So in terms of, you know, being able to make our staff feel safe, it's really important to have things like freedom to speak up, guardians, ways in which staff can feed up their worries and that they know that those concerns are going to be listened to and something's going to happen. So those are the sorts of things that are in place um, at trust level to make sure this happens and at ICB level. So I think we are in a difficult place. We cannot give up. 
It's about hearts and minds. And it's really important that boards and chairs play their role in believing and understanding the issues and then becoming active allies. I think so many people think that they're not racist and they don't understand their role. They don't think they have a role. Everyone has a role. It's everyone's business. And I think it's important to say something or do something to illustrate that you are involved in and wanting to change the agenda. Absolutely. Now, the other side of the coin, if you look at the NHS people plan, of course, uh, and the people promise, um, Bob has a five-year strategy at central place being a, a great place to work. And I wanted to highlight something you've talked about. The NHS staff have been through the pandemic. They are now dealing with record waiting lists. They are tired, burnout, wellness. These are ubiquitous issues right across the NHS. Again, looking at solutions, I know a lot of work is being done uh, at systems and place level. What are you seeing that are, is beginning to bear some fruit in terms of supporting the well-being and flourishing of the staff? There's a lot of support. Each trust will have varying degrees of initiatives and activity. And I actually visited the team. There's a well-being um, and mental health team at London Northwest, where I sit as a NED. And um, their package, their offer, if you like, is, is incredible. And one of the key issues is staff realising that exists. So the communication of some of those things. We help with cost of living. We direct our staff to... Um, seek financial help if they need it. We signpost where they need to go. We offer counselling sessions. You know, we subsidise the canteens so that there's a really good hot meal. So there's a lot of support and encouragement. So the challenge for trusts is making sure the staff know what's on offer and then making it easy for them to access and then having the time to be able to do their courses or to go to lunchtime sort of retreats or meditations to help them give space to make sure they've got proper spaces to have something to eat or a quiet room so it's back to fundamentals it's back to basics if you like and I think trusts have got those well in place as a, as a NED as someone that's sort of seeking assurance what I want to make sure is they access those services. And that's about promotion and communication, as you say, um, at the trust level. Um, you, you're seeing greater collaboration, as you talked about earlier, with social care, the voluntary sector, uh, local authorities. Um, are wellness initiatives now top of the agenda at a system level as well? Yes, mo most certainly. If you speak to the local authorities, they have very sometimes very mature packages in place and we're able to learn from that now so what we've been doing um, as part of Bob is we've got a people committee that is a system people committee so you know we invite comment and learning from the local authorities and from our voluntary sector and it's the social care aspect of that now that we need to really include it's trying to get to people that deal with housing within the councils because that's a big issue in the southeast and the cost of living so yes so hopefully there could be a, a two-way collaboration, that silo approach from social care, uh, NHS might finally be crumbling to some extent. Yes, that, that, that's, you know, part of the education package, part of extending the reach of those wanting to come to work for us, trying to make the pathways easier, more accessible, so healthcare assistants become aspiring nurses, you know, we have social care, it, you know, eventually the plan and ambition would be to get the social care community the workforce being able to you know 
bring themselves, if you like, a pathway into um, the health service. That doesn't really exist at the moment. So that's all part of our five-year strategy at Bob. And expanding that strategy a little more, um, part of the job at the moment will be to enable the workforce uh, to be more productive. Um, And Bob has a very central priority to enable its workforce to access the very best digital enabling technology so this is a huge issue it's a big task it can be e-rostering to e-credentialing what are you seeing on the ground to facilitate that technological revolution that enables clinicians and non-clinicians to deliver the best care I would suggest that, you know, from a clinical point of view, our our systems and the enablement with tech is is quite far advanced. I think what what we need to do is look at back office functions. And if you speak to the workforce, when I go onto the floor, you know, it's, it's the what should be easy things are very frustrating. So some of their administrative tasks. So, you know, there lies a Uh, uh, an area for us to be able to concentrate on making their lives flow, making their working lives more streamlined, easier to access, less phone calling, less written documentation, more accuracy, more data that's live. So that's the thing. And then training our staff. Mm. So what we've realised is there are going to be jobs that for the future that we don't really know about, but we've got to now train our staff to be equipped to pick up some of this data management that they'll need to do. They're already doing some of that, but we need to help them, you know, build their skills, if you like, for jobs that we don't even know will be coming up the line. And in the NHS, we need more data scientists, more data scientists, (laughs) more analysts, more, you know, there's data coming out of our ears, but how we organise that in order to focus and create impact is another matter. And I guess the rolling out of some of this technology can be threatening uh, to some people. Will their roles dramatically change? Will they disappear? So it goes back to, again, a communication piece, which I think is the responsibility, of course, of the exec board. Um, Are you seeing that uh, engagement in terms of uh, discussions about what this will actually mean on the ground? I would say we're not there yet, um, but what we've done at Bob is we've got a huge, um, a new communications director, and that's part of the remit. It's the explanation as to the why and how it will benefit the individual. That's all everyone wants to know. You know, how will this help me in my role? And that gives them the hope. So that we need to share. And I think systems, you know, some systems are more mature than others. Um, We've got a way to go in terms of really making sure those messages are coming down the track. As I say, that lag between what's known at, you know, board and executive level and then what's understood lower down the ranks. Well, that takes me on to the further question around encouraging people into the NHS and helping those within the NHS develop their careers, career pathways, new roles that are coming uh, along the line. Learning and development is is central, and that's very much part of the NHS People Plan and Promise. What uh, innovation are you seeing there in terms of multidisciplinary approaches, different groups now giving access to different training? It's absolutely fascinating. You know, if you talk to the general public, they think of the NHS and they think of nurses and doctors mm. and midwives. <laughs> you know, those are the, they think the three main professions. I had a meeting the other day and I was introduced to the head of the healthcare scientists and we've got over 50 of them and they all have a different discipline and I learned how their work joins, you know, and enables the clinicians to do their work. So I think we've got a big job to do. My main theme, communication. 
the general public don't know the sorts of jobs that are available. It's incumbent upon us as a system to make those jobs more available, to make them understand what's practicable. Um, we've got healthcare assistants that perhaps could lead on to various nursing. We've got allied health professionals, pharmacists, uh, you know, osteopaths, all sorts of people. Without those, that, that section of the workforce, you know, we, we wouldn't be able to run. So I think the NHS has to do a better job at unpicking some of the roles and some of the workforce availability and educate the general public and just make it more attractive. The other thing that we're doing is looking at cross pathways. So education is and training is going to be a huge component. It, it always has been at the NHS, but it needs its profile needs raising, if you like. And we have to speed that up because we will lose staff if they don't feel they're fully equipped. Absolutely, and that requires the advocacy, as you say, publicly to allow people to say, actually, there's a variegated way that you can join the NHS, clinical, non-clinical, at different levels. And that takes me to the final point that I want to leave with you. You have this uh, amazing vantage point across the system and in place and the importance of this dramatic change that's taking place uh, under the auspices of the ICS framework, the long-term plan, the move to community-based care delivery. This is all going to require um, tremendous leadership. And your role as a chair, acting chair at NED, can you sort of expand upon how important leadership is going to be and what role um, NEDs and chairs have to play in this transformation? As you say, it's massive transformation. And in any transformation project, there needs to be courage, a bit of bravery, there needs to be absolute clarity on the vision and the ambition and then a pervasive, a, a sort of a, a real hard push in how we communicate that. So I think it's a real test for NHS leadership at the moment. We had the messenger report. It reminded us and, and sort of, you know, challenged the NHS on inclusive leadership. I don't think you can be a leader in the NHS if you're not an inclusive leader. We needed of, of our leaders so it's a very very challenging time but I think the main thing is the courage. And on that inclusive point the boards themselves whether it's a chair or an NED or an executive board have to be representative of the populations that they serve? Yes we need to illustrate that we understand and I think the NHS have come a long way as far as ethnic diversity in the board mix at chair and NED level, I think there's a way to go in terms of the non, the execs and the executive level sort of um, stratosphere, if you like. So there's still massive work to do. Um, but as I said, it's incremental steps and making sure everybody plays a part. So it's, you know, things like shadow boards are going to be important, things like um giving opportunities for stretch to the right people, to the right candidates who might not quite be ready, mm. but need to be exposed um, to the way up, if you like. So there are various things we can do. The trusts know what they need to do. It's about having the grit and determination to deliver on those. So a clarion call for uh, communication and courage. Yes. Well, on that note, Sim Skavaza, thank you very much for your time and your wisdom. If you've enjoyed this episode of Voices of Care, please like, follow or subscribe wherever you receive your podcasts. And if you want to know how we are enabling the healthcare workforce of the future, please visit newcrosshealthcare.com forward slash Voices of Care. In the meantime, I'm Sahel Mirza. Thank you and goodbye.